We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast, and I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. This week, on Thursday, December 3rd, is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And I wanted to do something for this day. So here's a few numbers for the context. Around the world, one billion people, one billion people, 15% of the world's population experience some sort of disability. In the U.S., 26%, one in four adults, has some sort of disability. Worldwide, the most common disability in people under age of 60 is depression. In the U.S., mobility. One in seven people has difficulty walking or climbing stairs. Disabled Americans earn less than 70% of the median earnings of those without disability. But those are just vague numbers that can be confusing because disability varies, the impact on a person's life varies. So I would think that it's best to meet a person to get an idea of where they're really at. And so today, my guest is Tamara Mena. She's an actress, model, bilingual TV host, and an influencer. She's also a survivor and a speaker. She came to the U.S. from Mexico as a teenager, and only a few years later, she survived a terrible car accident that left her paralyzed chest down. Since then, among many other things, Tamara graduated college cum laude and gave a commencement speech at her own graduation. She participated in Nuestra Belleza Latina, which is a huge pageant show on Univision. And as part of that, she did a catwalk in a swimsuit in a wheelchair. She also met her future husband and became a stepmom. This woman is unstoppable. And here's our conversation. So I came from Mexico, and I was born and raised in Leon, Guanajuato, and I moved to the States when I was 13 years old. What was what was the life back there like? Life was good. Life was very different growing up in Mexico. I had a very happy childhood, I must say. I, I spent a lot of time with my... I have a big family with my cousins. Even though I'm an only child, I never felt like an only child because I was... I grew up with my cousins, so I felt like I had brother, brothers and sisters, and I I was just uh, happy. My mom worked really hard, and I went to a bilingual school in, in Mexico uh, ever since I was young, ever since I was in first grade, which was awesome because that is what allowed me to 
do so well when I came here. I remember her saying one day I was going to thank her for it because I, when I first started that school, it was, it was very difficult. And it was like half the day was in English, half the day was in Spanish. It was very difficult academically. And I hated it. I hated English when I first started that school. We came here and we didn't have anything. We only brought like our two suitcases, my mom and I. And I didn't want to move here at that time. I was 13 and I really didn't want to be here. <laughs> it's a tough age. I can imagine. It's hard to imagine life elsewhere. Yeah, I, I had my group of friends, you know, and at that time you think your friends are everything. But I'll never forget the first, my first day of high school. I was just like, Oh my God, it really is like the movies. Like all of these people are so different. And I was used to wearing a uniform in, in my, you know, in my old school. So everyone looked the same. And I just saw so many people from all walks of life, so many different styles. Like I was kind of a little bit in shock. I felt like I was in a movie, but um, I remember even going to the, the first dances, high school dances. I just remember being like, oh my God, I was kind of in shock because of how some girls danced. And, and then, you know, you start to sort of acclimate and be part of it. And I, I mean, the first, my first couple of years in high school, I didn't really wear any makeup. I was still very young. And so I just, I just wanted to get through school and not really make friends. I didn't really care that much about that. And the first I just felt like I didn't understand their humor. I had a hard time connecting just with the, just with the the culture, if you will. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't know anyone, you know, you're not in the popular clique, and there are cliques, so that was difficult for me. But I also didn't really let it bother me. I just focused on school. I just wanted to do good in school, and my teachers were very supportive and. For some weird reason, they put me in ESL, even though I spoke very good English, but they put me in ESL classes and they had a translator, a Spanish translator there. And I spoke better Spanish and English than the translator. So a lot of times the kids there would come to me, my like my classmates, and I would actually would be the one who would translate or the translator wouldn't know the the, the specific words and I knew right. it and my teachers you know saw that and even though they loved having me as a translator and support for the other people who didn't speak good um, English but they were like this girl's smart she needs to be in college prep you know and I wanted to go to college yeah. I always knew I wanted that so um, I, I feel thankful that I had support in that way and I was very very blessed that I had um, some of my cousins actually went to high school with me. Like we moved here at the same time and they didn't speak very good English. So I helped them a lot and I was just happy because I was with them and, and they gave me support. I gave them support. Having family here was an, an amazing blessing for, for us because my mom and I felt supported. We didn't feel alone. Right. Which city did you first move to? I moved to Modesto, which is where my grandfather lived, and it's in Northern California. It's a small town. And that was a big culture shock because I lived in a big city in Mexico. It was like, it's the fifth largest city. So it was pretty, pretty big. Yeah. And there was a lot of things going on in that city. And then I moved to a very small town. So that was 
it was not fun in the beginning, but it also, you know, later you get used to it and it's also simple, a simpler way of life. And it's also nice. So I, I think I have sort of both in me. What was the what was the reason that you moved? It was for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one, which I didn't know at the time, was because my grandfather was not doing well. He only had seven months to live on dialysis. Oh, wow. And my mom really wanted to spend time with him. Yeah. Thankfully, my grandfather was a U.S. citizen. And so my mom and I were able to file for our residency. So we have, mm -hmm. when we came, we had a green card, which I'm very thankful for that opportunity because now we are U.S., both of us are U.S. citizens. And not everyone in my family had that chance because we had a big family and not everyone was able to get their papers. Um, so, um, like I said, I didn't really know about that, that he only had seven months to live. Wow. We were also struggling financially. My mom was having a hard time and, and school was only getting more expensive as I got older. So she told me that we would only come for like a year or two at the most. And like I said, the main reason was my grandfather. And she was so happy to spend time with my grandpa. And so was I. And later... I saw how much more relaxed my mom was and in Modesto, she just seemed like happier and more relaxed. And I also saw a lot of opportunities, you know, it's America. There's more opportunities, especially that I had papers and that I spoke English fluently. Like my teachers told me as a Latina, like you'd be able to get scholarships, you're smart, like you can go to college. And that's something that I knew I wanted. My mom wanted for me always. Education was always very important to her. So I knew I it would I would have an easier path here, mm -hmm. especially for her. Like as a single mom, it, I knew how hard it was in Mexico to to get me to have me in those expensive schools. So I knew I would have more chances here. And we were close to my grandfather. So after a while, I told my mom, you know, if I'm okay if you want us to stay here. And uh, we kind of both decided to stay here. And thankfully, oh. my grandfather lasted seven more years. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and the doctor was so shocked. And the doctor said that it was like the love for his family that really kept him going. So it was, it was awesome to have all those years. My, my grandpa, he was in a wheelchair actually. And at that time I was not in a wheelchair. So I grew up with him having a lot of limitations, but he was so happy and he was such a thankful person and he was he just loved life and his family and he he didn't let his disability hold him back like I remember him going to Mexico and he would want to go everywhere and he he just didn't let it stop him and and I saw that so he taught me a lot is this what I what I can say yeah. he taught me how to be a warrior and how to be thankful for you know what you have and he always had a positive outlook and and so that's always something that you know I'll always be thankful for it, it just marked me and he was very sad when when I became paralyzed he was heartbroken for me but he also gave me a lot of strength so wow. sadly he was only here a year 
when I became mm-hmm. paralyzed, he only lasted a year. And I wish wow. there's so many, selfishly, I wish he was alive to see like all so many things that I've been able to accomplish. But I know he's watching and yeah. he's probably very proud. Were there moments for you when you thought, oh my God, this is the worst. Get me out of here. I want to go back. Yes, absolutely. There were times where, as an example, it's funny. Um, I appreciate this interview. I'm really glad we're doing this because a lot of my followers will be able to get to know me more. I feel like a lot of people don't ask me these these questions because I figured they focus on my my accident and how that happens. So it's sort of like, you know, my, I had a life before my accident. So which obviously I'm getting to uh, speak on more in depth about this. So it's interesting. Mm, so. I spoke good English, but I had an accent. I mean, I'm sure I still do at times, but when I moved here, it was stronger of an accent. Mm -hmm, And I remember people pointing that out often, like, oh my God, you have an accent. And I remember feeling like it was a bad thing. I did not like having an accent. I remember thinking like, I've been studying English for all these years. I don't want to have an accent. I just want to blend in. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. But to them, uh, it was interesting. It was like it was like a an appealing thing, which I learned later. Later, as I acclimated more, mm-hmm. I, I saw that it was a cool thing to have an accent. It wasn't like a bad thing. Like a lot of people liked my accent, and eventually, I just got rid of accent as I mastered my English more and more. And then it was it was interesting because then it was like, oh, I wish I still had an accent. It was kind of cool. And now I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I see it. But um, I just did remember feeling like I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. And I would see um, I just, you know, here and there I visited back home and I would go over there and parties we're so different. Like oh, my friends went out a lot in Mexico. It's just a very different lifestyle. And, you know, and they start getting together and they start drinking and I didn't have a group here. So I just felt out of place um, for sure for the first couple of years. Like I said, until later I started to become quote unquote more popular and kind of start blending in a little more or being invited to things and you know anyone wants to feel like you belong somewhere you you we all have that sense of belonging till this day you know I'm 34 and I still I mean I still have that desire and I see a lot of people having that desire to belong somewhere to connect with other people so uh, I can, you know, at that time, it was even more difficult. So it took me a while to feel like there was a place for me here. Were there specific things that made you feel alien? Like you mentioned, you went to like school dance and girls were dancing in some way that was foreign to you. Like, what was that? They were like, you know, like very, um, you know, they're like almost humping these guys you know and I just remember being like oh my god uh, uh, yeah in my uh, back home we don't dance like this that's for sure 
Like this is what you see in movies, but uh, we don't dance like that. So it was fun. It was interesting. And I remember, I do remember guys coming up to me wanting to dance behind me. And I remember being like, oh, this is disgusting. No, I don't, I don't dance like this. But uh, that was like in the very beginning. I guess later on, you become more American. You start doing more things that are more American. I also remember um, going to football games. Mm. And I didn't know anything about football. It's funny. Yeah, even as I got older, I remember going to Super Bowl parties. And I'm just I remember feeling like I'm just here for the food and the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I understand it more, actually. Um, I'm my fiance. He's a major sports fanatic, loves football. Uh -huh. Football is like his thing he played football and he I mean he loves football that's his favorite sport to watch so now mm. I understand it more and now I'm not I don't feel so alien anymore but I right. do remember feeling like that for years not just like yeah. in the beginning so what was the dream growing up the, the interesting thing about my journey is that I never would have expected to be where I am in any sort of way because I never dreamt of like, for example, I never, I, I didn't grow up wanting to be a model. Like I don't, I don't remember having dreams of that. The way it happened was sort of random. I was encouraged to go to this bikini competition for like a bikini calendar and I only did it because the cover girl would win a trip to Cancun and I'd been to Cancun. It's gorgeous. Cancun, a trip for two people. And I just wanted to take my boyfriend, Patrick. So I was like, sure, mm -hmm. I'll go. And I didn't know what to expect. So I, I was part of this competition and, and I placed in the top 12. And from that, we got to shoot with a professional photographer and started to, as part of the prices and started to build my portfolio and I became really good friends with this photographer and he saw a lot of potential in me and he always mm -hmm. wanted to shoot together and I still was going to school and school was still my number one priority but um, that's kind of how I got started with it and I like I said I never really expected it to be and even um, before my accident I was studying international business I felt like I felt like it would be a good career. I felt like it could be lead me somewhere positive, but I wasn't passionate about it. And that's what mm -hmm. my accident taught me. When my accident happened, I realized how vulnerable life is and how I wanted to do something that I was really passionate about. And I didn't know what that was. It took me time to figure out. One of my dreams when I was younger was to study fashion. Two of my aunts were uh, had studied fashion. So I grew up with their designs. I remember having books of their designs. And, and I remember thinking like, this is so cool. And I kept them. And so I, I really like that. It, but I, I remember my mom one time telling me that it was a very expensive career. And it just kind of, hmm. you know, it's those things that she didn't even mean any harm. But I remember yeah. thinking, like, oh, okay, it's not, it may not be for me. At that time, yeah. I felt that. So mm, that's, uh, those are some of the only things, but I, but I really just wanted to build a career for myself, do something positive. 
and you know be able to right just be a role model for someone I knew I knew that but not I didn't have any idea of any of what I'm doing now if that makes sense yeah no totally and it's crazy how parents saying one of those like little things they have no like they don't have it in their mind Mm-hmm. something to discourage just, you. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely not. It's just like such a casual thing. I've had those things too with, in my memory, certainly I have those things that pants said something and it j- just gets stuck with you and you're like, oh, that's, that just shut that door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and a lot of times it's subconsciously, you don't even realize you're shutting no. that door, even yourself, but there's certain things. And neither that do you they. Say your, they, they right, don't mean it. Yeah. She didn't mean any harm, but, but she did kind of discourage me and I felt like maybe that wouldn't be for me. So, but yeah. So I actually saved for a couple of years to be able to move to San Diego. So I had just moved to San Diego and I loved San Diego. I was barely getting to know the city because I worked full time and I went to school full time. Yeah. The night of my accident was a Saturday night and I was working and my boyfriend Patrick had plans to take his friends, his friends were visiting from Modesto and he really wanted to take them to Rosarito Beach because um, him and I had visited Tijuana, like the border, about a week prior to that. And we had, and he had a great time because he got to experience my culture. I mean, Tijuana is not pretty at all. It's not <laughs> very nice, but he was so happy to be in Mexico with me and to experience part of my culture and to see how life is there and he just wanted to take his friends and have a good time so it was his plan and I remember telling them that I wanted to go with them so I tried to get off of work and I couldn't so I had to go work go and work in the evening but I told I just had a feeling that I would be able to go with them so I told them to wait for me and so I went to work and it was it was slow and so my manager did let me get off earlier. So when I got off, I, we were all so excited and Patrick was very excited that I was going to be able to go with them. I went home and got ready real, real quick and so because we were going to have a good time and we were going to be drinking, we didn't want to drink and drive because that's something that Patrick and I were very cautious about and so mm-hmm. we drove to the border and then we crossed the border we walked and we grabbed a taxi in Mexico mm-hmm. and we were almost there it was nighttime it was cold and I just remember I just said babe I'm cold and he just like kind of snuggled me and that's the last thing I remember I didn't know what happened but we crashed with the horse that was randomly standing in the middle of the road and we were going pretty fast. We we're going about 70 miles an hour and it was highways. So, we, mm. you know, it's in a way it's expected to go fast. And by the time the taxi driver saw the horse, it was too late. So we still crashed with the horse and the horse fell on top of the roof on my side, the left side. I was behind the taxi driver and crushed the roof where I was like all the way down to seat level. So it really is a miracle that I survived that accident and that my mind is there and that I can speak. Um, I mean, I wasn't able to talk for like a month and a half. So that was very difficult. I lost, I went from feeling on top of the world to 
complete feeling completely helpless, just survival mode, fighting for my life. But I didn't, I didn't know what happened. Um, and the most painful thing of, of this whole experience was losing Patrick. So I, I lost my boyfriend, unfortunately, he didn't make it. And that was the most difficult thing. And, and then on top of it, you know, losing my ability to walk. So losing my freedom and my independence, it was a very tough time because I was only 19 and my friends were in that age, 19, 20, 21. It's a time where everyone is living life to the max and, you know, enjoying and going out. And it was a real crude awakening, obviously going through this because everything changed completely from one day to yeah. another, just my whole life was completely different. And, and it is still different. You know, it's, it changed my life forever. What was your situation? What was your condition? Were you, did you even know that you were going to be able to function? Um, I didn't know anything about life in a wheelchair at all. I didn't know anything about disabilities. I was completely foreign to it. Um, I felt very ignorant, if you will. It was completely out of sight, out of mind, that world. So yes, yeah. all of a sudden, I'm completely, I'm an alien. I don't feel like I belong in this community, but now I am in it, whether I like it or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Now they say, there's these people that say it's a group that nobody wants to belong to, but once you're, you're in it, you're in it. And um, yeah. there's a lot of great support from the community and I would say that that also really helped you know I had people come visit me and people who had had an accident as well who were in a wheelchair and they at that point they were I remember I had this one she's a Paralympian she's awesome Sharon she came to visit me in the hospital she was a female and there's not a lot of feet when I got injured there wasn't a lot of females in wheelchairs because we're definitely outnumbered by guys. There's more guys. Now I see more women in wheelchairs. And now with social media, we are more connected. But when that yeah. happened, it was 2005. So it was difficult. But I remember how what a great impact she made in my life because she came to visit me and she was married and she traveled. And so she showed me, you know, and I'm, even though I'm in a wheelchair, like you can, you know, live a successful life. And, and that was awesome. But it was very difficult the first the first year I would say was the most difficult for me especially because I had a lot of I had a good positive attitude but I had a lot of setbacks um, physically I had a lot of many things and I had to have a few surgeries and I had to be in the hospital back and forth so all of that was super challenging but I think having a goal having goals in your mind having dreams having goals really helps you regardless of your situation. It, it just helps you move forward. It gives you hope. Yeah. And I think that was really important for me. It really is powerful. So that's why I'm so thankful to have social media because even though like I'm able to connect, you know, I have followers from all over the world. I have young girls who follow me from other countries and it's amazing to be able to be that hope for them and for them to see, okay, you know, I have people that are like, oh my God, you know, she found her husband or found her fiance, like, okay, I'll be able to find someone. It just gives you hope in so many amazing ways. And I'm, that's why I'm so thankful for that, for, you know, that now social media, you can impact millions of people. Yeah. 
and you're certainly putting in the work in that department. I do want to ask you about, and you know, obviously you don't have to answer. You mentioned that there was that point where you felt like you don't want to keep going. And obviously in your case, that was very much defined by by the situation that happened to you. But I know that many people find themselves in that place for a million different reasons. It's a common experience and it's a hard, it's a crazy place to be in. It's Yeah, your your mind is your mind is very strong both ways. Your mind can yeah. be very positive and very powerful, but just like that as well, it can go to a very negative place. And once you unravel, once you unwind negative thoughts, that leads to other negative thoughts. And next thing you know, you're just feeling down about yourself and you feel like you're worthless. Like, uh, you know, I think it's normal for all of us to go there and especially you know, life is up and down. That's that's what I've learned. I think it's really important to ask for help because to rely on people, to talk to people, to not just let, because your mind can just bombard you. And, and if you don't have an outlet, if you don't say how you feel, if you don't let anyone know, it can really just bring you down and take you to a very dark place to where so you know, what you was the what was the most what was the darkest moment for you? How far in those dark thoughts did you go? Well, the first couple months were very difficult. Um, but I did have um, one of my aunts, she said to me, I was already thinking, I have to keep going. Like Patrick didn't have a second chance. I did. I have to make this count. That's it. That's, that's what like gave me a drive and inspired me to keep going. And mm -hmm. I'm glad I looked at it that way instead of um, you know, it's my fault or, you know, I kind of had to forgive myself in a way because I did feel like maybe it's my fault and, you know, I asked them to wait for me. So I really had to just do a lot of internal work to forgive myself, to allow myself to be here. It wasn't up to me. I couldn't control the situation. It's just what it is. But it was like, what am I going to make of this now? Whether, you know, however it happened, now I have to take responsibility for my life. And I was already thinking about about it that way. But one of my aunts, she she came to visit me and she said words that have, have marked my life. And I think it's marked many people's lives because I've, I've shared this. She said to me, just remember that you're not a victim, you're a survivor. And at that time, I'll never forget those words. I didn't say anything to her. But I remember in my mind, I said, she's right, and I'm going to live my life like a survivor. And I committed. I, at that moment, I committed myself to myself that I that's the life I was going to choose. I didn't want to be the poor girl that's in a wheelchair, the poor girl who lost her boyfriend. I wanted to be the mm -hmm. girl who's fortunate to be alive, who's going to make a difference, who's going to keep going forward for me and for him. I felt like it was the best way I could honor his life because I knew Patrick wouldn't want me to give up. I He loved life, so I chose to, to focus on that. And But I have, nonetheless, after that, unfortunately, I had a second car accident and that was oh, very God. difficult for me to go through I luckily nothing serious happened like nobody was injured seriously but I totaled my car it was a car that I loved 
and I was driving and I felt like, is this a punishment? Like, I just felt like I'm just trying to live my life. I'm trying to do positive things. Why did this happen to me? And it was a very dark time for me. I I definitely felt depressed and it was just difficult. So I've been there. I've had, you know, those moments and even through COVID, you know, it's been very difficult for a lot of people. I know that and even for myself. So I know how, how quickly you can go to a negative space, but it really, that leads you to only more negative thoughts. And it also starts affecting your body. Then next, you know, your, your body physically starts to feel different, you know, manifests in different ways. So your mind is really very powerful. And I think it's really important to ask for help and it's okay to ask for help. I think that's also something that is very important that a lot of people don't want to ask for help. A lot of people are ashamed to say I'm depressed or I may need help. And I would say to anyone, don't be ashamed if, you know, I have been on antidepressants and you shouldn't feel like weak for needing help. You should feel strong. You should feel proud of yourself for having the courage to take that step because it is difficult to ask for help. Nobody wants to feel weak. We all want to feel strong, but we're not strong all the time. And it's okay to not be strong and it's okay to not be okay. That's really important to remember for sure that it's okay not to be okay, especially these days mental health these days is so challenging it's okay to have those bad moments it's okay to let it out let it out cry do whatever you need to do but then get up and do things that you love I I think the possibilities really are endless and I think a lot of times we do limit ourselves it's very easy for us to limit ourselves and if COVID has shown me taught me anything and I think a lot of people is you can always reinvent yourself and You can always, it's never too late to start something, you know, and I really have seen that. And that's inspired me in many different ways, just like in uh, creative ways as a creator. It's inspired Mm -hmm. me seeing what other people are accomplishing through COVID, maybe something that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't through this. You know, I've seen, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of darkness in COVID, but I've also seen a lot of good things come from it. You know, it's, it's forcing us to rethink how to do things, how to reinvent ourselves, how to make it happen. Challenge always brings out more of whatever that is, of whatever you have, right? It it can bring a lot of negativity, but it can also bring a lot of good. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you're, you're a living example of that. I do want to, um, I do want to uh, zoom in a little bit, I guess, uh, focus on, uh, you were mentioning, you know, the self-image, and uh, obviously, I can imagine that you, at nineteen, just starting to become this popular girl, and you know, having having it all, and feeling like you know a million bucks, and then being thrown into um, a whole different place, and being and all of it, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it being taken away in in such a um, harsh yeah, way. Tragic way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I can, I, um, and it's me, obviously it's not you. And that's why I'm curious. 
I just can imagine that if something like that would happen, I would just want to hide. I would I would want to never show face and just like nobody ever see me. Um, and so like, what was that for you that made you want to step out of that? Or was that? It ever- was very difficult. I remember. So I did not feel beautiful in a wheelchair in, at all. I did not. I just didn't feel good at all. But it also had a lot to do with the way I saw disability, the way the the way I mean, it was completely foreign to me, but I didn't see it as something positive in any way or powerful. And so but I remember going out when I first got injured and I had this big brace that went all the way from like the top of my neck to my pelvis. This is a white brace that just it just looked so tragic, you know, like she's been injured in a bad accident, like what happened. And so I remember going out because we had to do outings as part of our rehab. We had to go like to a restaurant. I remember going to a restaurant feeling like all these looks from everyone. And, and yes, people did stare, but a lot of it was my self-consciousness, you know, like feeling like everyone is watching me and everyone is i wondered what everyone was thinking and that was very difficult and i remember after that also i just remember feeling sad about the way people was were looking at me because they looked at me like poor girl they did it was no longer the way the way people stared at me before it was very yeah. different that's just the reality and i remember also going to the mall for the first time i went to go shopping I've always loved fashion so i that's something that didn't change in me. Like I wanted to find a way to keep being fashionable. Um, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, like I remember being in rehab and my family brought me clothes and they brought me my shoes and I wanted my, my little workout outfits to match. And I remember my therapist being like, Oh my God, this girl, Miss beauty. I think they, (laughs) but, um, I'm glad I did that. You know, you, you got to take pride of yourself and there's nothing wrong with that because when people think it's superficial, but it's not because when you feel good about yourself, when you look good, you feel good. And, and that carries a lot of power in the way you interact with others. So, uh, it gives you confidence. So I, it made me feel better you know, trying to look cute to go work out. I was still like in at rehab, but I, I just, it just made me feel better. And I'm glad I had that. So I remember going shopping for the first time and it was just, oh, I, I hated it. I came home and I was crying and I remember telling my mom, everyone was staring at me. I don't like it. And I, my mom said to me, you know, I know it must be very difficult, but you don't know why people are staring at you. Like, you don't know what they're thinking. They may be looking at you, she said, because your hair is so pretty or they're thinking something else or not. Not everyone is just thinking that, like judging you in a negative way. And that was, I guess that was important for me to, for her to say that. And, and so after that, I, you know, slowly gained confidence, not like right away, but I do think that me taking pride in myself and wanting to look good, um, that helped me 
be more confident when I was going out and about in the community because then it changed. Then I got I got compliments like, oh, my God, I love your shoes or like I love your, you know, it, it was like about it was almost no longer about the wheelchair. It was about who I am. And I think that's important to not not lose your identity just because you have a disability doesn't mean you can no longer be yourself, which is something that that took me a long time to learn because I, in the beginning, I didn't feel like I could be the person that I used to be. And, and now I know that I can, and and it's taken me years, trust me, to work on that. Um, just that's the example of a bathing suit. Like I was modeling, I did the bikini modeling competition at 19. It took me 12 years to wear a bathing suit and to do a photo shoot and own it and to feel beautiful. What was that initial uh, impetus for you to make yourself more visible, to step into that public speaking position? And what made you want to? What made me want, yeah, what made me want to be out there was the lack of awareness, the, the lack of um, opportunities for us, the lack, the discrimination. How did you experience that? Just the way people looked at me, I didn't like it. And so I wanted, I, that drove me to want to change the way people see disability. And mm -hmm. it's been very difficult. I mean, it has not been easy because there's not a lot of opportunities. That is what drove me to Los Angeles, actually. that That's why I came here. But how do you mean there's not a lot of opportunities? And, and forgive me because yeah. I am not part of that world and I understand. I'll give you an example. In 2013, I was in a in a really big competition. It was a beauty pageant uh, slash reality TV show. It was a competition in on Univision and the Spanish network. It's a, it was a really famous show. It's still I think it's right now because of COVID, but I think it's still gonna keep shooting. It's called Nuestra Belleza Latina. And when I became injured at 19, that show started and I started watching it uh, recently injured just as a fan, just didn't have a lot to do, was recovering. It. But I remember watching this and thinking, man, if, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, I would be there. So it was a beauty yeah. pageant, but the winner would work as a host on TV. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember liking the show and thinking, really thinking like I, I would be there if I wasn't in, in a wheelchair. So I looked mm -hmm. at it like in kind of sad the first few, t you know, maybe a couple years. Then I just watched it as a fan, just nothing, nothing else. And then seven years later, the show, or there had been seven seasons already of the show. And so it became very popular. And they came to um, San Jose, which was close to Modesto. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I found out about it like two days before. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what if I go? And I also, right away, I started making um, excuses for myself. I was like not in the shape I wanted to be in. I was a little heavier and I was like, no, I'm not in shape. No, okay, maybe next year I'll do it next year. I don't feel ready. And then I, at this point, I had already graduated in communication and I was already giving motivational speeches. And I was like, what do I tell people? I tell people to not limit my, themselves, to go for it, to give it a shot. 
And so I was like, I got to practice what I preach. So I said, I'm doing mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. I went, I, I went and I went to the audition. I went with my mom and everyone looked at me like, what is this girl doing here? Everyone was like, I mean, I really had some very interesting looks. People were confused like as to why I was there, like legit, because nobody in a wheelchair had ever Nobody with a disability had ever auditioned for this show. So the producers were shocked. They told me like later, they later on, they told me that they were shocked when they saw me there. So all I could do was be strong, be myself and, and see where that goes. And round after round after I I kept placing, I just proved that I, that I could do it just because I wasn't a wheelchair doesn't mean I couldn't do what they were asking of, of me, just like other women. And so what was the, what were you doing? So you, you won't. Mm, the first, the, the first round was very simple. You just had to look at the camera and, and say your name and say where you're from and a few things, very simple, but they already know what they're looking for. They need someone that can project on camera, someone with personality. They know what they want. Yeah. So from like 300 girls, the, the, that was like a new location, so not as many girls went there because other locations, it's like thousands of girls going audition. But um, it was about 300 or so total of us. And after that, they narrowed it down the first round. They narrowed it to 35 only. So it was pretty right it was a big cut. And so that was the first round. The second round was a catwalk, a bikini catwalk, which was terrifying for me. Because I'd never done any catwalk. Um, so that was like totally out of my element. I hadn't done a bikini, quote unquote, catwalk in a wheelchair is what I'm saying. So yeah. it was like totally diff- like different for me. And I just remember um, the girl that was before me and everyone was able-bodied. You know, I'm the only one in a wheelchair with a disability. And the girl that was before me. She was very nervous, super, super nervous. She was freaking out. And I'm, I was telling her, girl, you just have to believe it. You have to own it. When you walk in there, just <laughs> just, just act like you own it. Like, and, and Oh, my God. This like, is crazy. You are giving her a pep talk. Yes, I'm giving her a pep talk. I'm giving her advice as to what to do. It's comical. And then when it came my turn, I was like, oh, I need to do the same. I just, I was terrified, but I just had to own it. So I came in the room like with a lot of strength and I just had to focus on what I could do and just show, you know, what I could. And so I, I, luckily I did have experience modeling. I kept shooting at, at this point, I'd already done a few photo shoots. So there was a time where you just have to work the camera and I was just like, okay, you, you know, this part, just work it. And, mm-hmm. and then, I, so I made it to the next round and then the next round was talent. You had to prove that you have some sort of talent and people did all sorts of things. People did dancing, people did singing, but uh, a lot of people also did like hosting because, because in the end the winner is, would work as a host. So, right. For, for them. So I actually, I did a hosting a talent and I was selected. It was only like six of us that were selected at the end of the night. It was a long day, really long day. And I remember the producer said, we, we selected the Mata because she has what we're looking for. They said she has beauty, talent, and personality. 
everything we're looking for where it's not because of her story or her condition. And I love that they said that because they wanted to make it clear that it wasn't because they felt bad for me. It's like I earned a place. My place. So yeah. to fast forward, out of thousands of girls who auditioned everywhere, only 70 of us made it to Miami. And I I did my – so we had to do now, wow. like we had to do an audition um, in front of the celebrity judges and like an audience. So wow. I did a – Was that on TV? It was. Yeah, that was aired. And I did a, an audition – my audition was behind a desk so they didn't know I was in a wheelchair and I did it specifically that way because I didn't mm-hmm. want to be judged based on on my disability I wanted to be judged based on talent so once yeah. I then we revealed the wheelchair and they were absolutely shocked that I was in a wheelchair like nobody with a wheelchair or disability like I said had ever it's a world I'm telling you this was 2013 but it's a world that doesn't see disability. They were just completely shocked. And the sad thing to not like go into crazy details about this show, but but I one judge said yes and the other two said no, even though everything that they said about me was positive. They said that I was beautiful. They said that I was a really good communicator, which is what they want. And so I had everything that they were looking for. And um, sadly, they they didn't let me move forward only because of my disability, because they had um, physical challenges in the competition. And I told them that I just wanted them to be open to me doing them in whatever way I could do them. And they just... It was too far beyond for them. They said that they didn't think it would be fair. And it's like, fair, I just didn't get it. Like, it wouldn't be fair in which way. And I mean, it was, I mean, it's very, it was very devastating. Um, Other girls who had, I had more talent than other girls and, but other girls who were able-bodied made it and I didn't make it. So that felt like a slap in the face. So that was very difficult for me. So they went and actually said that they're not going to move you to the next round because... Because of the physical challenges, yeah. So They actually said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, they edited that part out, but yeah, they did. And it just... Anyway, it was very difficult. Um, it was devastating. Some people said... Uh, most people were very, uh, sh- like, upset that they didn't let me move forward. But other people were also very mean. Some of the things that people said were terrible that, like, brought me to tears at, like at times. So, like, people saying, like, oh, this girl's complete... She's out of mind. Why would she can't walk? Why would she... She could never win uh, this competition. Why would she... Like, you're totally out of place, girl. Like, you have a disability. You would never win this and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And and it was just, it showed me wow. that people just weren't ready for it. So this is 2013, by the way. Uh, there, We still don't have any hosts in a wheelchair with a disability. And... Um, I have faced more discrimination in regards to that, even in LA. So after that happened, I really thought about giving up and pursuing anything in entertainment because, you know, it's a world that doesn't see us. And it's a mean, mean world. And even somebody who is 
you know, able-bodied and gorgeous, the, people will find a way to diminish anybody who's on stage. Yes, it's a very difficult industry. Absolutely. So regardless, yeah, I agree. You, anyone who wants to pursue that industry, whether you're a model, actress, or you know, singer or whatever, it's a very difficult journey, whether you have a disability or not. But then you add a disability is even more difficult because they often judge you based on your disability, not on your talent. They don't even give you a chance. I've had uh, this producer like didn't want to meet me only because I have a disability, like didn't even give me a chance to 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 see what I could do as a host. Like this, this is real. I mean, I'm telling you, I've lived this and it's very frustrating. But when after that show aired, I moved, decided to move to L.A. because I felt like it was so wrong. I, I just remember thinking, what what is going to happen to our future generations? I don't want other young girls who have the preparation, who have a college degree, who prove their talent, who are beautiful to get told no only because of their disability. Like this is not okay. Like this has to change. And that really, that, that spirit to fight that is what brought me here to LA. And I don't, I've been here for five years and in some ways I don't feel like I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, but I'm focusing more now on social media and I want to focus more on that uh, moving forward because social media is so powerful. And as a content yeah. creator, you can work with many brands and it's an amazing feeling when they come to you because they want to work with you. They want, you know, they want to work with the Maramena or like they want. And I, and I love that. And you could change people's minds and you could create more opportunities that way. And I'm hoping that that will one day will change many industries, not just the entertainment industry, because we need more opportunities, more representation in all areas of life. I, I really do want young people to see themselves represented. And we are seeing more of that there. I have booked a few commercials, you know, um, mm -hmm. I was on a K Jewelers commercial. I did a commercial for Apple that never aired. I don't even know where it went, mm. but I was booked to, <laughs> as a, as a main actress and, um, a few other things that I've been able to accomplish. So the industry is changing and I am seeing more diversity on commercials. Like in general, I'm seeing more like multiracial families. I'm seeing, um, you know, interracial couples, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I am an interracial couple. So I connect with that. There's something uh, I thought about when I was, you know, reading about you, how in a weird way, the disability that you have, you know, it's something that you can't hide. It's something that you didn't ask for it's something that is there and uh whether you want it or not as you're saying employers a lot of times are looking just at that and they're pigeonholing you as that mm -hmm. oh she's a she's a disabled motivation mm -hmm. speaker um and that's how people frame it and that's mm -hmm. how they want to think about it and it's weird because in a in a weird way i feel like just being an immigrant is already an obstacle enough. And in this, in a weird way, I feel like obviously nowhere close in the level of challenge that I'm experiencing, but just the fact that I have a foreign last name and people are pigeonholing me because of that forces me to look for other opportunities and look for other ways to 
build myself up. Yeah, it's sad, but it's true. And I could take my husband's last name. Like I could do that, but I don't want to. Why do I have to? <laughs> mm -hmm. I get it. I absolutely understand. I mean, like I said, I didn't understand what was the big deal about, you know, like um, having a host in a wheelchair. Like most hosts are sitting down. I have a degree in communication. Why does that matter? Um, so after I was denied an opportunity to work with a network, another network, even though I proved my talent once again, um, I had to, I, I was considering moving back to Modesto and luckily I decided to stay. I created my own online show. I created my own, it was called CB on TV and I did my own interviews and and it was a very empower, empowering experience mm -hmm. for me. It was like, okay, you're not going to give me an opportunity. That doesn't mean I can't do it. I'm going to find my own way of doing it. And I think that's very important for just for anyone to to hear this. You know, there just because somebody tells you no doesn't mean you can't find a way of making that happen. And maybe the other way is will be better for you. Maybe it'll it'll create even more opportunities for you. So. Um, that's why, like, as a content creator, I do love that because you are creating your own opportunities, your own following versus just working for someone else, which sometimes can be good. But if you're not given that opportunity, then the other route may even be better. And so I think that's important to for young people to keep in mind. OK, so tell me a little bit about Sports Illustrated. Um something that is I'm doing now that is very exciting. I, for the very first time, I entered a Sports Illustrated Swim Search that I, for a long time, I've wanted to work with Sports Illustrated or had that dream of working with Sports Illustrated, especially as a, like, I don't really see people with disabilities in a powerful or much less sexy way. So I've had this image you know that it would be amazing to rock a bathing suit or you know to be on their cover but I I didn't have the guts to actually kind of go for it and put myself out there like that until until this year I decided to enter the swim search and I really had like so much anxiety even though I started doing the bikini photo shoots three years ago and I was so nervous I legit had anxiety to share it on social media because it just was like for the first time I'm talking about I, I'm going for something that's been my dream for a while and I'm nervous to share that with the world and I'm nervous to share myself in this vulnerable way because I because I don't see disabled women in a sexy way like really so the community has been amazing so we have like this big group chat of a lot of the women who entered and it's women from all walks of life. It's women who some are um, mothers. A lot of them are mothers. Um, I'm a stepmom, so it's fun to, to connect with other moms that are proud of their bodies and, you know, want to show that and, and show that, you know, all bodies are beautiful and it, it's given me a sense of like belonging and the, several of the women have said that that you know it's been amazing connecting with this group so it's been interesting especially with COVID so many of us are now like 
you know, disconnected from a lot of the things that we were doing that we're used to doing. So belonging to this, you know, group and having that group feels awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm an Ashley Graham fan, but I remember uh, when she made it, I remember th being inspired by her journey that if she could do it, maybe one day somebody with a disability could be on their cover. It's kind of what I thought. I'm really proud of the plus size models movement because we, if you think about it, we are seeing a lot of plus size women in a lot of, you know, catalogs and, you know, runways, but we have such a long way to go for models with disabilities. And in 2015, I was in the first catwalk that had at New York Fashion Week, like a very, you know, very, very respectable stage. Wow. It was the first catwalk Huge. with models with disabilities. And that was in 2015. And I feel blessed, to, thankful to be part of it. And I remember being so hopeful that more opportunities would come to me for modeling and, and for runways after, after that. And not a lot happened, I can tell you that. And that was disappointing. I still don't really see that much uh, disability representation on runways. Even the world disabled, there's a lot of mixed, um, there are a lot of mixed thoughts on that. It's a yeah. world word that, that some people use, some people don't. Some people don't want to be called disabled. Um, it could be in some ways offensive to them because they don't see themselves as disabled. But it also could be... Is it better to say a person with disability? The tricky thing, and I wish I had, I could give you a better answer. For some people, it's an empowering thing. And I'm one of those people that has viewed, has changed her views on that word, actually. I used to, I, I talked to a reporter a few years ago and I said to her, please don't call me disabled model. Because I remember thinking, if I'm a model, I'm a model. I'm not a disabled model. Why does it matter? And it's like you're disabling me already of like, I don't know. I, that's the way I looked at it. And she used mm -hmm. that title. And I remember thinking that was pretty cool. Now I actually see it differently because recently I've been doing a lot of soul searching and asking myself, why am I offended by the word, by the word disabled? Um, I am disabled. Like, and that's, and it's okay. I started thinking it's more of the way I was looking at the word. Um, I was looking at it as a negative thing. I was associating it in a way, like subconsciously I was being ableist. Um, I don't know if you're wow. familiar with that word, yeah. but I think yes. I was. And, 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 and now I, I'm not offended by it. It's like, yeah, I'm, I remember recently I did a post where I said disabled and proud. It's like, I'm proud of it. Like, and just because I'm disabled doesn't mean I'm not able. There's ability within disability. And just because I'm disabled doesn't mean I'm no longer beautiful or sexy. So I actually look at it differently. But um, some people, wow. it is something to be aware of because some people want to be called differently abled. And, you know, I, at one point, I I like the word differently abled, but I remember there was a time that I was like, but everyone is differently abled. Like, we're all differently abled, if you think about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, mm, I don't well, know. Well, and I guess the concept is to bring people with actual significant physical impairment into the realm of everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. By right. saying differently abled, 
exactly that is the idea. Everybody is, and so are they. Yeah. So I guess that's the point. So so I guess it 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 just depends, you know. Some people like differently abled. Some people like disabled. Um, some people prefer to say I'm a person with a disability or I'm an actor with a disability, I'm a model with a disability. I'm okay with either one. I'm not offended by the word disabled because I'm proud of being disabled because I, I really did a lot of soul searching with that. But it just depends. I, like I said, I wish I wish there was a better answer. Why do you think people put such significance on these terms? Words are powerful and the way you choose to see yourself is very personal to someone and it, and it matters. So when you use certain words to identify yourself in whatever way, whether you choose to see, say disabled or you're a person with a disability and somebody else says it differently, it, it, it just can be offensive to the, to the view that you have. But I, I just wish there was an easier way for that. I'm hoping that in the future, um, it's kind of like words evolve because yeah. also and our our language evolves over time before i used to hear handicapped a lot a lot more now that word isn't really used and some people don't like to use or are offended with handicapped so then the term that kind of substituted that handicapped i think then it was disabled but then some people don't like disabled because like i said they they're like well I have a disability, but I'm not disabled. That's how some people see it in their mind. It's like like a limitation, like you're telling me I'm not able. But now I see it as like there's able within disabled. Does that make sense? Like there's yeah. that word right there, able within disabled. There's ability within disability, so it's okay. I'm proud of having a disability. I'm proud of being disabled. It doesn't offend me, but I think it's just personal preference and I think it'll take time. I think it's one of these things that it's going to take time. And maybe later there's going to be another word, just like Latin, Latinx. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of more of a new thing now to say Latinx. And, and, and yeah, I think, it, I think it'll evolve. And, and Well, tell me, tell me this. And it's, it's interesting that, mm, you know, you brought up the culture and how cultures evolve. Is the attitude towards uh, disability different in Latinx community? It is different. I would say, I'd have to say that um, in Mexico and other countries, it can be, it's it is further behind. So I agree because I have gone to Mexico and I've gone to places where there's no bathroom, that there's not, it's, it's unaccessible or it's upstairs. Like they don't have the laws that we have here in the U.S. The only reason why we have accessibility is because of the American Disabilities Act, the ADA law that passed. I believe it's 30 years ago. I'm pretty sure this year was the 30th year anniversary. But here's mm -hmm. the thing. Even though it was the 30th year anniversary of this law, we are still so unrepresented in media and in all areas of life. So it makes you think if there's access here, if we don't have that problem, such as countries like Mexico, why are we still like not being seen more and being given those opportunities. And I'm telling you, it is because of the way people see disability. People see, often see a disability, um, especially if you have a physical disability, and automatically see like the barriers or, or, or can't, or she can't do mm -hmm. this instead of mm -hmm. seeing past the disability and giving you an opportunity to show them what you can do. 
in a different way. And and that's, I think, what happens a lot. There's already this prejudgment as soon as they see you and they almost see you as a liability or as weaker or not as intelligent or just, it just is that prejudgment is there. So it's sad that we were, that this law passed 30 years ago and we're still not having more opportunities, which is why doing things like this matters. That's why I, I, I went on Univision, you know, and, and it's sad that I proved my, my talent and they just weren't ready to have a, a host with a disability. That is the reality. You're doing such a difficult thing. I was, you know, watching your videos. When you talk in both languages, you say a thing and then you say the yes. same thing same in English and then in Spanish. Oh my God, it's so hard. I can't get my English out straight. And you're doing both languages. It's so amazing. Um, Thank tell you. me what, I mean, I don't know. How can anybody not give you a job? I mean, if I'm you can do that, you can do anything. I'm still confused about that, about what to do about that, to be quite honest with you, because I, that's been, I can honestly say it has been a blessing, something I'm so proud of to be able to maintain my level of Spanish. And if anything, I've expanded it because I moved here when I was 13. So it's not like I had a, a professional vocabulary in my mind. So I've, I've continued to grow. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of my roots, which is what has kept me to maintain it. But it has been very difficult to know how to navigate it because I feel like it's a blessing to speak both languages, but it's also so much work. And I feel like if you, for example, if I do something just in English, people are like, they used to be like, oh, you speak Spanish. Why don't you speak Spanish? Like they, <laughs> they, they talk shit to you basically. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's not that I didn't want to speak Spanish or do videos in Spanish. I just didn't know how to do it. And doing them in two separate videos is a lot of work. Um, either way, it's a lot of work. But doing two separate completely videos is more work. And then also you're spreading the views. Yeah. But then to do it in so I decided I started doing it the way you're saying in English and Spanish simultaneously back and forth and I try to not go for too too long so that it's not too much time for people to wait I had to figure that out I didn't know that and I had to figure that out but at the same time I didn't know if if like that was a good thing if people would want that because you're having to hear it in both languages and I'm still conflicted to be quite honest with you. I don't know mm. if that's something that, or if it, if, or if I should just have it in one language. I really appreciate you making time and sharing so, um, so openly. And, uh, I think you're doing an amazing thing and just, just keep doing that. Thank you so much. I, um, I am glad we were able to do this and I'm hoping that my story and my journey can connect with any immigrants and anyone from all from any any walk of life and if i had to say something i really feel like times are difficult right now i've been up and down so i just want people to know that it's okay to not be okay just make sure you don't stay in that dark place for too long let it out if you want to feel like poor me make sure it doesn't go for too long just like vent it and then figure out a way how to how to make things work for yourself. And I think COVID is truly showing us that there's different ways of doing things. There isn't just one way. And I think a lot of times we limit ourselves. So don't, for any immigrant who's not given an opportunity, I know what it's like to not be given opportunities for different reasons, 
but maybe creating your own opportunities will be better in the end. You know, you don't need you need you don't need that recognition or that title from someone else. If you're good at doing something, perhaps just find a way of doing it on your own. Don't let anyone else hold you back and and just keep going always no matter what. You can you fall several times in life. You're not just going to fall once. I've learned that. And you're going to fall deep and hard several times, but you can always get back up. And that's what matters. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. It's You're so, welcome. I'm proud of so you for doing this that. podcast. Like, Thank this you. Is, this is great. I'm Yay. sure. I don't know how that story went, but I'm sure it wasn't easy to st- to do this. So I think it's well, great. It's my way of trying to find a way to belong. So that's that's it. See, <laughs> see what I mean? Everyone has a sense of belonging. And, and now with technology, the way it is now, you can find a way of belonging in different ways. And that is awesome. And who is so nice Thank to you. meet you. Thank you as well for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And best of luck, okay, with your podcast you and everything else. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I think there's some good stuff there, some thought-provoking stuff. I love what Tamara said about how there is ability in disability. And I think Tamara's story is an example of not only perseverance, but finding a way to do things your way. I think that is a really applicable takeaway from this conversation. Because being an immigrant comes with limitations. They may not be physical limitations, but I think there's something to be learned there from people with disability. The limitations that are sometimes put on us as immigrants can help us develop other skills and become stronger in different ways. And I think that's part of the immigrant experience. What do you think? Do you feel like you've developed some skills through being challenged? Call our Google Voice at 213-973-3813 and leave us a message. I'd love to hear what you guys think. And don't forget to share the show with a friend, an immigrant, son of immigrants, daughter of immigrants, friend of immigrants, grandchild of immigrants, anybody. Just send them a link. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Please stay safe. Love y'all. Peace. This is my country.